Welcome to another episode of Under the Scope, where we review albums and discuss music. I'm your host, Will Brost, and on the other side of the line, and on the other side of the country now, is yes, Patrick, yes, yes. Patrick Anderson me. calling in from San Francisco. Yes. Hell yeah. The city. <laughs> so because of it, uh, our podcasts are probably going to be later in the day now. For our uh, Midwestern audience here. But uh, earlier in the day, I guess, or not earlier in the day, but late afternoon for our uh, our hardcore West Coast fan base that we've already uh-huh. established, for sure. So, the network out here that uh, for Under the Scope is absolutely insane, man. Yeah, I actually, I heard that Silicon Valley specifically uh, picked up on our on our trending podcast, and uh, they're actually going to make a, a great tech company out of it somehow. I don't know how, but... Yeah. 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 No. The uh, um, Facebook has VR plans for it. <laughs> They're gonna project uh, our faces while we're doing this. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're halfway to being millionaires. You know, it's just it's it's gonna be great. We got big things in store for this podcast. I don't think we get any of the profits though. Yeah. Actually. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just relinquish ownership. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, <laughs> That's, what a great opener. Uh, that was awesome. Um, okay, so not last time, but a couple had times ago. Had to let them know what's going on out here. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we got, you know, had That's to. That's why it's been a minute. Well, and, you know, they don't follow a lot of Silicon Valley update podcasts, so we have to, you know, keep them informed with uh, what's going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, but a couple times ago, our, our last podcast was a review of the new Frank Ocean album, uh, which you should check out. But before mm-hmm. that, we did 10 great album intros. Uh, we're huge fans of intros to albums and how they can set the tone for albums. So we listed 10 of our favorite uh, intros each um, in order from 10 to 1. And then we made a Spotify and uh, Apple Music playlist out of them for our listeners to enjoy. So because we had a lot of fun doing that podcast and because we love lists, we're doing a similar pod today, 10 great album outros or album closers uh same format as last time we're gonna do five honorable mentions each and then go one by one from number 10 to number one um ranking our favorite uh album outros and hopefully we don't forget any important ones (laughs) because it could happen (laughs) yeah we're gonna miss the most obvious one like we're gonna look up a list online and the most obvious outro is going to stare us in the right, face. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, like, oh, how could you forget this one? It's like, oh, well, of course we did. <laughs> I'm so I'm so nervous it's going to happen. <laughs> Dog Days Part 2. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's worth noting. Patrick forgot uh, Florence and the Machines' Dog Days Are Over on our intros podcast. Uh, but I remembered it, so it's still on the playlist if you're interested in listening. Um, so how'd you, who'd you, uh, who do you want to go first for these uh, honorable mentions? You or me? I can go first if you want. Heck yeah. Actually, I think I went first last time now that I think about it. Yeah, I think you did too. Yeah. Yeah, because, right, right. We ended with you with your number one intro last time. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's right. All right, yeah. Okay, so my five, uh, these are unranked again. I forgot to rank my oh. my honorable mentions again. No problem. My bad. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> Um, all right. So my five, one of my five is, uh, uh, my body is a cage by arcade fire. Mm. 
Okay, also, I just wanted to make a note. I feel like this list was much harder to make than the intro list. Yeah, let's talk about, yeah, I forgot to mention, we should kind of briefly discuss uh, the outros list versus the intros list. And I agree with you because I'm a bigger fan, I think, of album outros. Uh, yeah, just, just in I think general. That, I think that there's like a lot, a lot more like just amazing outros than, especially that I have in my, my library, than there are like amazing intros. And I think bands are more likely to save their best song for last rather than giving you the best song right away and then following that up with like 45 minutes of other music. Um, So a lot of these songs I have as like my all-time favorite songs uh, by some of these bands or musical Uh acts. And so that was hard in, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, that's why that's why my body is a cage mm. is uh, down there. It was pretty hard to do all this stuff, but anyway. So my body is a cage by Arcade Fire. It's a really epic, gr- kind of just like uh, explosive track um, on uh, Neon Bible, mm-hmm. which is their second album, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Two thousand seven. Um, yeah. Kind of an underrated album. Um, so anyway, but My Body's a Cage is a really great track. It just didn't make it into my top ten outros because um, various reasons, I guess. I don't know. It's really good, though. So check out any of these tracks, honestly, that I'm going to list. Agreed. Uh, Restacks by Boney Vare on 4M Forever Ago. Nice. Um, made it on my honorable mentions. I love that track. It's so It's peaceful. And it's it the lyric work on that is probably my favorite that out of uh, Boney Bear's catalog so far. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a really great track, but it's also like seven minutes long. Um, Which so, I don't mind for outros, by the way. I I, I, I like, like I like outros. well I love long tracks too, but like um, you know it kind of I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't get sick of it one way or another. It's just a long track. I just feel like I need to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but um, anyway, okay, and then Leif Erikson by uh, Interpol on on uh, Turn On The Bright Lights. That one was kind of hard to leave off of here because I really love that track. Um, but... Yeah, but it, but like listening to it like over and over again a few times, it gets a little bit repetitive sometimes, mm. compared to compared to the other tracks that I have on here. These other tracks I have on my top ten are just so much better than, I don't know, but that's a great track too. Um, very indie rock English kind of thing. Mm. Same thing with what I, we were talking about on our on our intros pod with Untitled. Is, yeah, I was going to say, didn't the intro make uh, your honorable mm-hmm. mentions? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. This is like one of the best albums of all time. You know, I love that. I love that album. It is but, pretty good. But anyway, but okay. And then Love Rain Over Me by The Who on Quadrophenia. Ooh. I don't know if you've I was gonna, ever heard that or not. I, was gonna, I mean, I haven't heard uh, Quadrophenia in general. Uh, now that I think about you it, you haven't heard you haven't heard Quadrophenia. That's what I was mm-hmm. that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely haven't so, heard that song. So you know, Quadrophenia is like a rock opera. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's a rock opera, which is just like exactly what it sounds like—a story 
uh, focused around rock, rock music and stuff like that as opposed to operatic music. It's a really cool story. The Who were kind of the first people to do it. Um, but Love Rain Or Me is the final track, and it's just really kind of uh, cinematic and uh, like really, really emotional big kind of symbol crashing kind of kind of track like that kind of thing sounds very very movie-esque um and roger daltrey is just an amazing singer so he sounds fantastic on this um uh so it's a little old school because it's it's 70s um but it's really good stuff i honestly don't think that this song sounds that dated at all it's just it's just a little bit dated because of the rock and roll feel to it. Is there like any kind of is there prog in it? When I think of rock operas, I think of a little yeah. bit of prog, you know. Not not like Rush, not like Twenty One Twelve. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. it's not like that. There's like some some synthesizer and stuff like that in, involved in it, but it's not like you know, like the story is is focused around a kid in England, so it's not like you uh. know. It's not like twenty one twelve where it's set in the future in the like this post apocalyptic world and you know, like that kind of right. and there's synths and planets and you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's it's not really prog. It's but it's a lot more rock and roll than it is prog, but there is kind of synthesizery elements to it. It's really cool. Um, and then my final honorable mention is True Love Waits. Wow, recent by yeah well, by on the new on the new Radiohead album, I love it. I love it so much. It's so beautiful. Makes me makes me tear up every time I hear it. Uh, listen to our Radiohead review of a Moonshape Pool. By the way, throwing that out there. Yeah, I'm just assuming that everybody knows what it is because they've listened to that <laughs> podcast already. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All those Silicon Valley people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm like a celebrity now. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's your five. That's your uh... yeah. Those those are my five. All right, I ranked my five because I didn't have the heart to not rank them. I'm just an obsessive when it comes to making lists. So uh, number fifteen is <laughs> <laughs> number fifteen. I think is the most recent song of my uh, my fifteen. Um, Kendrick Lamar, Mortal Man. Um, oh, I thought about putting that on there. Nice. Yeah, uh, a couple down. Uh, a couple negative marks or downsides uh, I just want to get right off the bat um, number one I guess is that recency component you know it hasn't had as yeah. much time um, and then the other one is just and I'll get to the, the skit real quick but uh, or the, the conversation at the end but it's not always the most replayable conversation because it's like six or seven minutes actually probably even longer than that um, so it's it's hard to replay that song in its entirety over and over again, um, but Kendrick gets points as almost always for ambition, creativity, and uh, the ability to wrap up an album's themes in a closer. Um, yeah, uh, it's like a twelve-minute song, so I could go on and on about this, but I'll keep it brief just because it's honorable mention. Um, but the beat it's it has a relaxing, jazzy groove, uh, which sets the stage for Kendrick's ever consistent lyrical chops. Um, and after four or five minutes of just a stellar rap track, uh, the track transitions to this now famous quote unquote conversation interview with 
Tupac, um, who of course has been deceased for about 20 years now. But, mm-hmm. And the conversation they have ties up the album's themes of, um, you know, racial injustice, uh, poor versus rich, um, this whole, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just the lifestyle of a black man in an urban environment in America in general. So the, the, the thing that strikes me about this, though, is that Kendrick is able to have this conversation with a person who had this interview 20 years ago, and they're talking to each other so fluidly that it kind of hits you that, wow, not really much has changed uh, because this conversation seems so natural in the present day. And so you kind of realize that, oh, you know, maybe the problems that Tupac has been talking about, they haven't disappeared at all. He, his words fit right into the daily conversation presently. Um, so, yeah, stellar track. Yeah. Number 14 is the only honorable mention on mine that's also on yours. Uh, Arcade Fire, My Body is a Cage from Neon Bible. Nice. And you said the word uh, when you were talking about it. The word for this song is epic. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. It's got this build, <laughs> this climax that's unbelievably crazy with these church-sounding organs. Um, it's, it's a song about anxiety um and the lyrics aren't the most important part of this track because of this sort of uh the the passionate vocal performance from win butler and again the organ performance from will butler um but it's really those two elements that make this track memorable for me um again one of the best climaxes i've heard in an outro which is kind of a common theme uh among the songs that made my list is this build climax epic those kind of um, qualities, I think, are important for an album outro. Yeah, I I would agree too. Yeah, that's a good point. I wanted I I didn't make on mine, but yeah, I I had that same kind of mindset. With uh, I tend to lean more towards those kind of tracks when it comes to like quality outro, right? Where uh, tr- tracks where it just hits you with everything it's got right at the end, yeah, and it just yeah. leaves you with a lasting impression. Um, my number 13 isn't as epic, but it's a, a song that isn't as popular, so I hope everybody checks this song out anyway, even though it won't make our playlist. Um, Cocteau Twins, Fru Fru Foxes and Midsummer Fires from... Nice. Yeah, right? Uh, from Heaven or Las Vegas. Uh, the word I would associate with this song is dreamy. It's this mm-hmm. very early 90s... Shimmery. Yes, shimmery, colorful. It's this very early 90s uh, synth pop, shoegaze, dream pop. Um, fans of Beach House, I think, would enjoy this song. Um, Elizabeth Fraser's vocals on here, they're, they're tranquil, they're intoxicating, they don't overpower the production, which to me is great because the production is kind of the, the standout um, element of this track. It's got these ethereal, shoegazy, um, quote-unquote, drops if you will, um, which are just explosions of pure sonic bliss. Um, again, didn't quite make my top 10, but I hope you all check it out anyway. Cocteau Twins, Fru Fru Foxes and Midsummer Fires. Great album. Yes, yes. Yeah, an album that I think doesn't get, it, it gets a lot of love with critics, but not necessarily, um, you know, as well known as some other 90s classic albums, but uh, definitely mm-hmm. one that's worth listening to. Uh, number 12, another 90s indie pop album, 
one of my favorite all-time indie records. The closer on here is Judy and the Dream of Horses from Bell and Sebastian's album, If You're Feeling Sinister. Um, oh, okay. So More Bell and Sebastian. I love. And, and it uh, should be noted that the intro song from my intros list is on a different album. So really, I just love 90s era Bell and Sebastian, I suppose, because <laughs> two, two separate albums made my list. Um, it's not the biggest reinvention of the wheel, this song, but it's a solid outro nonetheless. Um, from my interpretation, this song is about like a teenage girl learning to cope with the most frustrating and confusing time of her life, which, as I'm saying it, is very Bell and Sebastian-y uh, of, yeah. of a song topic. Yeah. <clears throat> But a really cool concept, nonetheless. Uh, I love the brass on this one. I'm a sucker for brass, so anytime you throw horns in a song, I'm in. Uh, the melody on here is great, as are all Bell and Sebastian songs. It's just a really pleasant song. Uh, pleasant, not only describing this song, but the entire catalog of Bell and Sebastian. And my last honorable mention, number 11, is one of the most underappreciated tracks in this legendary band's discography, Radiohead, The Tourist. From, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yes, right? Yeah, from OK Computer. Um, wasn't my favorite song on the album um, uh, at first listen because it is a little slow. Um, but the more I listen, the more I'm just sucked in by the guitar tones. Very crisp and clean. Uh, very serene. And the song is about tourists who... And of course, this is as, you know, Radiohead, they keep their lyrics a little abstract. But from what I interpret... It's about tourists who don't slow down when they're touring. They just kind of rush through everything they're seeing, all of the sights. And it's just like, hey, man, slow down. Learn to take it in a little bit. And, of course, that has a parallel to just life in general. Like, don't rush through life. Soak it all in. Slow down. Enjoy the moment that you're in. Um, I mentioned the guitars already, but my favorite performer on here is Tom York. Uh, his vocals are absolutely spectacular on here. Um, it gives OK Computer a very climactic ending, especially following Lucky. Just two climactic, uh, epic tracks, one after the other. Um, again, pretty incredible song. My favorite Radiohead album. And yeah, those are my honorable mentions. That's nice. I, I considered the tourists for a little bit, too. Uh, they've got a ton of great outros. I mean, you had one yeah. of their, their most recent one, and I had one of their earliest. So yeah, I love I love True Love Waits. I think it's so beautiful. So, all right, you want to get to the list? Top ten, top ten, top ten. Uh, all right, I'll give you my number ten. My number ten on the top ten outros that we have Da-da-da-da-da. is drum roll. Uh... Grew Up at Midnight by the Maccabees. I don't know if you know what, <laughs> I'm out. Who, the Mac, who the Maccabees are. I don't. Um, I just discovered them, like, last year um, after we went and saw the Steve Jobs movie. And you hid because, them from me. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay. I, that's, I'm explaining. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because... Uh, you do you remember the the final track uh, at the end of the Steve Jobs movie? Uh, not specifically, but I remember enjoying it. Yeah, that's that track. Okay. Okay. And I and I was like, wow, that was a really good track. So I looked them up, and um, and and I gave a listen to them, and they're like a pretty big presence in like like the 
underground poppy underground indie rock world if that makes sense okay like sure. like you like like they're like in the conversation with like uh like bombay bicycle club like uh, those I kind see. of those kind of people you know what i'm talking about sure yeah so like heavy british indie rock people um so but they're pretty good they just they just like um they just like disbanded this past august though apparently um so but the rest of this album is unfortunately not as memorable as this track is mm. um it's kind of like what you're talking about with florence and the machine uh like how dog days is significantly better than the rest of the album is <laughs> right it's not a terrible album by any means but it's kind of like forgettable but this track is absolutely fantastic it's it's so beautiful it's got that classic um i know exactly why danny boyle used it for for an ending track to his movies because um, it's got that classic build just like uh like like the drum patterns that are like kind of like running okay. basically and they build up and then you have this massive breakdown at the end of the track um the chorus is really really nice the lyrics are really interesting um all about being kids and growing up and and stuff like that um it's just a really nice like uh it, like really memorable kind of track um so but i i like ever since i had like looked it up after that movie i haven't gotten enough of it as a single you know the rest of the album I got enough of pretty quickly, but this track stood out very, very uh, heavily. Yeah. Um, so, and it's 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 really good. It's worth it's worth giving the album at least a listen, but it's definitely worth just giving this track a listen. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, sorry, they've been pretty off my radar. Until, I mean, I was floored when you said that because I had absolutely no idea. But. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I needed to give them a little bit of credit for what they what they did with this one. I, I'm absolutely love this this track. It's definitely an indie rock track, um, but it's it's really cinematic and big and just like it's done it's done in a really uh, creative and kind of emotional way. So it's 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 really great. I like it a lot. Well, if it's as I'm a I'm a fan. <laughs> Uh, if it's as good as other uh, Danny Boyle music selections um, for his movies, then you know I must be in for a treat because it, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it's definitely you can tell like there's a reason why he wanted it in there. <laughs> All right, so going from um, a song I hadn't heard of to a song that I think a lot of our listeners might not have heard of, uh, my number ten is my favorite song that this group has ever made, uh, and I'm starting my list with the. Uh, a pretty controversial choice, admittedly. Um, oh man, here we go. Uh, oh God! <laughs> um, what could it be? Yeah, here we go. Uh, number ten, Death Grips. Oh, nice. The song is "Hacker" from oh, their nice. best from their best album, uh, 2012's "The Money Store." Um, so here's the thing with Death Grips, right? Um, <laughs> Like a solid way to start. Yeah, yeah very, uh, very important disclaimer. Do not give up on them after your first listen. <laughs> they, they might take a while to get used to. They're very different um, than most acts I've ever listened to. The, the genre that they 
work in is either industrial hip hop or experimental hip hop, depending on who you ask. Um, but as I mentioned, this song and album were recorded uh, in 2012. And the production on this song not only doesn't sound dated, but it sounds still more progressive than most current hip-hop I've heard in 2016. I think people are still trying to, not that everybody's going for the same sound, per se, I mean, obviously, but the production, I think, is catchy enough to grab ears, and that's why I think this song is important uh, for Death Grips' catalog, because it is one of their more accessible and catchier songs, especially when you get to the chorus, where it's just this synth explosion. Um, Again, just a, a really nice groove throughout most of the track. Very aggressive. That's the word to describe Death Grips. I uh, is aggressive. Yeah, Air yeah, track. it's aggressive and abrasive. Very abrasive. Although this is closer to the center than a lot of their other far left material. I would, I would argue. But um, I mean, yeah. there, there's certainly more abrasive songs I could recommend to people. But Death Grips yells, and we're not talking like Meek Mill. Um, we're talking actually just screaming at the top of your lungs like a, a screamo or like black metal band might. Yeah. Um, MC Ride, he screams these lyrics that not only <laughs> are they loud, but they're very absurd, uh, abstract, and honestly pretty memorable. Um, the self-proclaimed cray-cray ultra-contrarian rattles off these lyrics that don't really connect from one to the other, but just sort of paint this overall portrait of an absolute madman. Uh, but these lyrics have honestly become pretty much memes at this point for, for people who are familiar with Death Grips. Um, my favorite lyric on here is, uh, Gaga can't handle this shit. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> just out of nowhere, just calling out Lady Gaga. Um, so Gaga can't handle this shit. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can't handle this shit either, but it's worth a shot anyway. And I thought it was good enough to be a top 10 outro of all time. So nice. So there you didn't go. Didn't you start, didn't you start, uh, our intro with uh, cannibal ox too? Yeah. Uh, I didn't Last start the time. list, but it, it, it was like number eight or so. I mean, it came up pretty quick. So yeah, you got that, you got that industrial hip hop. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I recommend hip-hop, You're making it's sure, very, yeah. yeah, I'm not throwing a lot of Drake on here, you know. I'm throwing a lot of stuff that people think they know what hip-hop is, and then I recommend Death Grips and Shabazz Palaces and Clipping and stuff like that, so... Uh, Gosh, I'm so happy that you did that. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's straight from the heart, man. I'm not even joking. I fucking love that song and that album. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so unique. But like I said... Don't give up on it after one try. Trust me, it didn't hit me at first either. But now, again, one of my all-time favorite outros and one of my current favorite musical bands. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that's all I got to say on that. It's a short song. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, let's move on to number nine then. Number nine. Uh, my number nine. <laughs> my number nine is not Revolution 9. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's Amsterdam by Coldplay. Nice. Almost made my list. Uh, it didn't make your list? No. Sorry. It, it got really... Spoiler. Not, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Coldplay fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. I love, I love this, uh, I love Amsterdam. It's a pretty meaningful little track, 
Coldplay is not the most amazing lyricist group uh, in the world, but this one kind of like I think that this track more than any of the other ones that they've written has showcases the talent that Chris Martin does have for songwriting. Um, it's it's a lot of people speculated that it was about an attempted suicide mm. uh, that Chris Martin had tried, and it's not. It's like about uh, it's it's a, it's cheesy. It's about like the redemptive power of love, uh, <laughs> and they were writ- and they wrote it while they were in Amsterdam. So go figure. <laughs> um, but it's Martin, really man. yeah, but it's it's really um, just subdued. Uh, and and, and uh, really pretty piano chords and, and singing and everything and a really nice hook, as Coldplay always does, mm-hmm. um, until the final th- uh, three-fourth mark of the album uh, when it all of a sudden breaks into this really, not a huge kind of like, Mm-hmm. Uh, drop or anything like that, but like a, definitely a break in the action, um, and all of a sudden the drums kick in, and uh, everything just gets a lot bigger in the production. And he talks about, and this is where everybody thinks that it's an attempted suicide because it's stood on a bridge, tied to a noose. You came along and you cut me loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Um, you know, those aren't, like, amazing, but they're meaningful lyrics, and they're, like, it's just, it's a it's a good short, it's really powerful, like, it's just quietly kind of a powerful track, and it's always been a stick-out track for me, for, for them, um, and I think that it is for a lot of people, too, like, this is usually the track that, like, people that aren't Coldplay fans, if you show it to them, they, like, at least give it credit for its, for its, uh, creativity, and, Definitely an indie rock mm-hmm. classic, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a really just meaningful, big, powerful, or not big, but just a powerful little track that they wrote. And it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's early Coldplay, so from their uh, yeah, a rush of sophomore. blood to the head. Um, sophomore album 2002 so, so it is back i mean i mean i know this song but it, it is during their more indie rock phase as opposed to their um whatever you want to call them now like their dance pop phase i suppose um but they're they're whatever yeah well, they're coldplay now yeah, the, phase. yeah they're just a, a, a white person's like wet dream of music <laughs> it's like, oh this is so good uh, no, that song is my favorite Coldplay song, though, that I've ever heard. So, uh, very good choice. Almost made my list, probably top 25. Um, nice. So, yeah, Amsterdam, great song. Great build, like you said, not too huge. Yeah. But, um, it's but, really just, it, it, like, it's one of the better, one of the better uh, builds that I've heard mm-hmm. is in, in, a, in a track. It's just, it, the way that they produced it is really, really well done. A very notable uh, transition toward the end. Yeah. All right, that was your number nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no band on my list um, made the list twice, going from my number fifteen song to number one. But this band, okay, yeah, but but this band, and same with my intros. Now that I think about it, um, but but this band is the closest band. If any band would have made it twice, it would have been this one because one of their outros was in my top twenty. I had to cut it. The song I cut is called Home. 
But this song, oh, yeah, this song. I cut home too. Yes. Spoiler alert. There you go. So uh, LCD sound system, and the song uh, from the album Sound of Silver is New York. I love you, but you're bringing me down. Um, I mean, Jesus Christ. This is where I think we get into this this series of indie um, outros that kind of dominate the bottom half of my top ten um, out outside of Death Grips. But uh, th- th- <laughs> this closure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Death Grips to this song is a notable change. Um, but New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Okay, this song closes the album with uh, a, a powerful ballad, which is pretty unusual for LCD sound system. This song is not like most LCD sound system tracks. Um, typically, LCD sound system, I think if you were to describe them, they're sort of dance punk um, sort of this modern reinvention of the Talking Heads. Uh, yeah. They're, they're most notable, I guess, for these longer eight-minute, nine-minute, sometimes over ten-minute dance cuts, but that have this real punkish attitude. This isn't like EDM or anything. This is very, uh, as I mentioned, punk. It's very indie rock. Um, but this song is driven uh, with this piano melody that I think is very pretty, but especially beautiful after... Uh, this guitar solo toward the end. Um, I think what's notable about this song in comparison to other LCD uh, LCD sound system songs, a lot of S's there, uh, is (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think James Murphy, I think this is one of my favorite vocal performances of his. It's very tender uh, and emotional. Um, From what I understand, he or they performed this song at the Madison Square Garden concert, which at the time was going to be their last ever show, and they ended their set with this song. Uh, you know, Madison Square Garden being in New York kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but apparently just not a dry eye in the house, just everybody sobbing, because this is a really beautiful song for this band. Um, you want to talk about climaxes. This climax uh, rivals my number seven outro as... Um, arguably my favorite climax on an album closer of all time. Uh, it's got, like I mentioned, it starts with this pretty piano melody, but all of a sudden the piano chords intensify, like they're just smashing the chords with all of their power, and these energetic drums come in, and that's where James Murphy just absolutely goes off on his vocal performance. He's just wailing at that point. Um, gosh, a real beautiful song, a, a, a pretty straightforward song structure, except for that. Um, that breakdown, but again, yeah, just a, a a song that's unlike any other song on the album Sound of Silver, uh, but a song that still, despite that, manages to kind of wrap everything up in a nice little bow. Very wonderful songwriting on that, um, and yeah, beautiful yeah. choice. Yep, I I freaking love that track. Not my favorite song by them. I mean, there's a few more songs I like. Or that I yeah, all my all my friends is still. Oh man, we can get to that when we're doing our <laughs> top songs of all time podcast. We, yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Might have to might have to attempt that sometime. Ooh, ooh, man, that's a chore. Uh, we need time. But yeah. Yeah. All right. What's your uh, your number eight? Not gonna promise anything there. <laughs> uh, number eight. I have Two Headed Boy Part Two by Neutral Milk Hotel. On in the aeroplane over the sea. Hey, can I butt in real quick? This is my number eight, also. So, just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. nice. Very okay. nice. Very nice. Okay. All right. I figured you might have it on your list. 
I didn't know if you would have it down at number eight. That's that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we can just talk about yeah, this. Yeah, let's together. just yeah, let's let's chat about this song. So how about those lyrics? That's the biggest thing for me on this track. I agree. Uh, it's my and, and I think that that's probably the biggest thing for any any you know any any tr- any neutral milk track track in general because they're not the singing is not you know it's very <laughs> uh, it's very passionate it's very um, emotional driven versus uh, technique driven I guess or, yeah yeah it's not as technical as it is powerful so uh, the lyrics I agree are the main story especially given that the instrumentation is essentially solely based on a an acoustic guitar. Um, Pretty much all of it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's probably the most simple song on the album, arguably. Mm-hmm. But again, the lyrics, as you were saying, uh, the the most important aspect of this. It's track. so it's so it's so beautiful. It wraps up the album absolutely perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know this this I think this has to be the the best written song mm-hmm. on the album. Um. Interesting. Besides, besides, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. All of them, all of them yeah, are yeah, so I mean, it's well written. Right. I don't know, but this one is just so it's it's amazing. Like verse by verse is just like I don't know. Like there's so much to talk about with that. You could spend an entire podcast talking about these lyrics and stuff mm-hmm. throughout throughout the whole album. But yeah, I mean. It's just this is like one of the most meaningful tracks I think I've ever heard. It's it's beautiful in an unconventional way. When you hear it Yeah, hurt. exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's like yeah, it, yeah, it's meaningful because it's not it's not really pretty or anything like that. Right. I mean, his vocals as we mentioned, they're they're abrasive. I mean, he's not yeah. he's not MC Ride of Death Grips, but he's pretty abrasive. <laughs> We, I want to hear that remix. <laughs> I'm sure there's one. They're two of the biggest meme bands of all time. So uh, Yeah, that's true. But yeah, uh, the lyrics, like you mentioned, uh, absolutely spectacular. They touch on, as most of the album does, on religion, love, uh, this fantastic imagery. Not fantastic as in great, but fantastic as in based in fantasy, where we're yeah. talking about uh, you know tomatoes and radio wire and all of this. Um, of course, the lyrics. There's throughout the album. There's this underlying presence of Anne Frank, and yeah. I, I don't know if it's been confirmed by the band, but there are Anne Frank elements throughout the album, and I think you get plenty of those here too. Uh, I wrote down my favorite lyric just because I think this song is very poetic, um, and here it goes: "And in my dreams, you're alive and you're crying as your mouth moves in mine, soft and sweet." Rings of flowers round your eyes, and I'll love you for the rest of your life when you're ready. And, oh man, and so the, great! Yeah, and this song, again, not beautiful immediately, but I've gotten emotional to this song a couple times. Uh, I mean, I saw it live, and that's really when it clicked as like one of my favorite songs because initially I was like, "Ah, eh, pretty good," but as yeah. I've listened to this album, God knows how many times. I think if we made a modern indie music Mount Rushmore, this would have to be an obvious choice um so i've listened to this album god knows how many times and it clicked and now it's probably one of my four or five favorite songs they've ever done um yeah yeah. i'd I'd agree with that i i I definitely would agree with that so it's it's so it's just it's just so meaningful and as an as a wrap-up for the rest of the album it's just perfect the song structure i love that it's just verse by verse yes and basically just letting jeff mangum uh just like just letting him like 
basically sing his poetry kind of thing, you know? Right. It's like a five and a half minute song, no hooks, but there's always singing. So it's just this long stream of consciousness and it ends with what's the lyric? Uh, don't hate her when she gets up to leave. And then the band, yeah. and then the band and then leaves. he gets up to leave. Yep, yeah. And they leave. And then that's the album. And it's just, yeah. it hits you. Yeah. It's it, so many people, like if you read threads about that, like that song, it's like, that's the, that that's the kicker that makes everybody just cry. And, you know, it, it's, they, they nailed it. It's like a perfect credit track that just, I don't know, just hits you right where, right where they meant to, oh, you know? Yes. So, all right. Uh, beautiful, beautiful lyrics, beautiful track. But again, we both, we yeah. both have it at our number eight. Yeah. So it's obviously the consensus on this song is it's the eighth best outro of all time, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I can't argue it. Uh, yeah, that's I guess, definitely. Well, I mean, that was my number eight. So I guess we're back to you for your number seven. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. This could be yeah, this, this could, could be, be dirty. pretty dirty right <laughs> could, here. Well, I, I, as I was thinking of this, I think we might have more similarities on this. Uh huh. I think we will too. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let me just get to it. My number seven is "Late" by Kanye West. Nope, not mine. Okay. So go ahead. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> song, All right. Though. Sweet. All right. So yeah, "Late" by Kanye West on "Late Registration." Technically, a bonus track. Yes. Right, I believe but so because it ends and gone. Right, and then yeah, but it's on the album, like the normal album. Right, right. So, uh, so, uh, so we'll we'll count it. We'll count it. So I yeah I I didn't even ask you before this, but if if yeah. you wanted to count it, but I was counting it. How so. dare how dare you not ask my authority? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I need approval for this. <laughs> right. oh. But yeah, so late by Kanye West is. Uh, I would have picked Lost in the World, but they but he has that skit at the end of Fantasy, so I wasn't able to do that one. Um, Who so will anyway, but America? Who will survive? Yeah, I know. I was, I was like, dang it. But okay, anyway. Um, so this is like one of the coolest produced tracks that Kanye's ever done. Um, it's uh, it's it, it's it samples like. It samples that Biggie Smalls song, doesn't it? What's uh, What's Beef? Oh, like that wow. that laugh. Yeah, it might. Yeah. Oh, ha 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 ha! Check out this. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, it, clicked. Yeah. yeah, it samples that, and it samples um, uh, what's the uh, 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 shoot? Is that is it Biggie Smalls again? I should have wrote this down. This is all the, new to me, but it, it makes sense. Oh yeah, what is it? Um, oh god. No 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 no. The well the main the main hook the I'll be late for that. Oh, I I don't know what that's from, but very classic. I didn't write yeah. it down. Dang it! All right, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's it's just like a uh, it's just like one of the coolest produced tracks. It's got that soulful Kanye mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, high pitch sample to it. Um, as long as, like I said, those shout outs to, to old school rappers, like, like, uh, like Biggie Smalls, cause he used to do that all the time, mm-hmm. just like really subtle stuff. Um, but, um, uh, and, and it's also got that late registration, heavy string orchestration to it, um, which I think is really like top notch on this one for sure. Um, but it's just like, it's so it's, it's, it's fun 
and it's cool and the wrapping on here is like some of the best Agree. that Kanye's done it's got like goofy lines in it too but they're not like cringeworthy like some of the later Kanye lyrics have been yes um like the what would you do for a Klondike uh, a line at the end of it like it's like goofy uh, like it's not like it's not stupid like the you know uh, the, the the bleached asshole line in in uh, life of Pablo um, so it so it's reminiscent of all that stuff but it's really and it and um, like he released this album late too didn't he yeah yeah. Yeah, so there was like some delay involved in it, and it's based off of that because it's like you can stop complaining because I'm finally here, and it's so it it like it capped off at that point like Kanye's egotistical like kind of you know larger than life attitude that he had, um, but he did it in such a just like a really cool interesting way. Uh, that like it's like it, like you couldn't deny you're like mm-hmm. everybody was happy that like that he dropped something like this track that's so interesting and so intricately done you know and it's it it's just like i don't know it, it's awesome it's just an awesome track i think you nailed and i'll keep this brief because this isn't on my list but i think you nailed everything i like about not only this song but just uh that era of kanye west in general this early uh, mm-hmm. 2005 era um what i like about this era of kanye is as you alluded to with the biggie smalls and his rapping ability he still had and i don't want to say he doesn't have this appreciation now but he does on he does showcase in his earlier work an appreciation for older hip hop um and i hate to go all i miss the old kanye but his rapping as you mentioned is <laughs> is it's much better uh i think on this album and on that song than it is in uh you know the later portions of his career the line you were saying all these goofy lines uh that are clever um, but the line that stuck, uh, stood out to me, you didn't say it, but, uh, I'll be there in five minutes, five hours yeah. later, five hours later, I'll be there in five minutes. I love that. It's just a classic old school Kanye humor, um, with the, the production to match, um, the old school Kanye vibe with this soulful sampling. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the vocal tweaks, uh, you know, uh, pitch altering his samples, a, a great track, not my favorite on that album, but it is my favorite Kanye album and it's a great uh, last track. Yeah. So. Uh, also, also, I didn't get to. I, f- I forgot to mention this too. I love the uh, how like on this album too. Uh, um, like the whole uh, concept of like of, of him talking about like being late for class and like stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? The talking about like he's going to school and stuff. Still, like it's like I, I love that kind of stuff because he's still like taking jabs at like college and education and stuff like that, um, and the system and everything. Didn't sign up for his classes like, on time. All of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He does that even on the second album. You know, after the college dropout. So I think that it's. I, I I love that stuff. I mean, I don't think he needed to do it forever, but right. you know, I agree. it was it. It's cool that like he still he still was like paying attention to all that kind of stuff and like you know really just incorporating it into his style at that point still for sure. So miss that bear too sometimes. <laughs> we should just make that our logo permanently, the Kanye bear. Um, so 
my number seven, uh, again, continues this stretch I have of indie rock. Uh, and I alluded to my number seven outro during my number nine outro when I discussed epic climaxes. This one, I think, probably has the most epic and most climactic ending of any outro I've ever heard. You probably already know what I'm talking about. It might be even higher on your list, perhaps. Um, very popular choice here. M83. Mm-hmm. The song is called Outro, uh, and it's from Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. So there aren't too many lyrics or vocals on this track, even though it's a four-minute track. I believe it's around four minutes. Um, yeah. But the production is absolutely gargantuan. And then a drawn-out silence midway through the song. It, it, it sets the stage, and it gets you anticipating what's coming up immediately after. Um, and as it turns out, it sets the stage for what I think is one of the grandest closing movements uh, to a modern indie project. Um, this song is triumphant, I think is a good word to describe it. And the sole lyrics on this song... I think echo that sentiment. Uh, the only lyrics, I'll just read them out. Very epic and, uh, as I mentioned, triumphant. I'm the king of my own land. Facing tempests of dust, I'll fight until the end. Creatures of my dreams, raise up and dance with me. Now and forever, I'm your king. And when he says king, he drags that out, and then the instrumentation kicks in. And it's not just loud instrumentation. It's orchestral and powerful. Yeah. It's very interesting uh, it's experimental a little bit. Um, it's unlike, you know, most songs that I've heard in this lane of um, indie music. Uh, uh, the, it features guitars, pianos, I think strings a little bit in there too. Mm -hmm. Not too much to say, as I mentioned, because I think when you hear the song, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It all just kind of, it, it starts out strong, it quiets down for about 30 seconds, and then it just hits you right in the face with uh, the uh, uh, you know the the album is um probably my least favorite album of all the albums that are on my top 10 very inconsistent um, yeah i mean i enjoy it overall but it's very inconsistent but outro is one of the best songs i've heard by m83 um yeah that's my number seven yeah yeah i yeah agree with all that stuff it's absolutely magnificent <laughs> That's yeah. I should have said that. That's a great word for it. There's a, there's plenty of words, plenty of adjectives to describe that track, though. So, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Wait, wait, wait. Which one were we on? Six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay. So my number six, and you uh -oh. already mentioned it. Ooh. And I think that you probably. I don't know if you could have guessed it was on my list or not but it did make my list and it's new york i love you nice but you're dringing me down nice and there's not really too much else i have to add that you didn't say to it but man it's just it's such a it's just such a powerful track it gives me it gives me chills and i and watching that um that uh this is happening uh uh documentary hmm. uh movie um at, like watching that gave me a little bit more of an appreciation for what this track actually was, um, you know, because it's like, it's it's like kind of it's a song about like the middle class and stuff, kind of, you know, and like and, and and like how the city's wonderful, but it's also like kills you, like kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention that. Like the song is about what you think it's about given the title he points out all of these negativities about new york city their mayor 
you know, all of the, yeah. the, the, the current news of that particular time, which I believe was like 2007. Um, yeah. So, so that's like, right. Is that Bloomberg or Giuliani? That's Bloomberg. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, shoot. You're yeah, sure. no, yeah, because it's your mild billionaire mayor, so it would be it would be Bloomberg because yes. because he's definitely a billionaire. Right. Yeah, so. totally, yeah, 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 your billionaire mayor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so yeah, it's I love that that idea that they're like talking about how how amazing the city is and how you know like how meaningful it is, but it's also like it kills like it's like a machine. It just like kills people, you know, at the same time. You know, and, and it's like for like, especially for people for like New Yorkers and stuff, I can't I can imagine the amount of meaning that this kind of track has for them. Um, so, you know, it, it's just it's just the like in that aspect of it, watching it in the Madison Square Garden performance gave me a lot more uh, perspective and appreciation for it. I need to watch and it. And then. And then just as musically as a track, it's just absolutely fantastic. The one of my favorite moments is the it's like the thirty second break at the very end. Yes. Uh, where, you know, they, they like they, it like feels like it's over and then all of a sudden they just come back in um with uh like with with all their instruments and just go for like like only like a the couple like a minute more maybe. You know. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's just clever. So I, I think that that's a cool, cool way to close out the, the the album. So it's it's just a powerful, awesome ballad track. And you pretty much covered all the other points I would have had. I think on the, this. Uh, I think the tones are perfect toward the like in that ending minute you were talking about, like the piano. Yeah. Yeah. The the way the piano is tuned, or the, what, however they master it, or whatever they do to it, I think the notes they play on that piano are as good as those notes could possibly sound like the way, yeah. they, the way they edited that out. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. They, they nailed the sound on all of that, all that stuff. It's yeah, it's not too powerful, but it sticks out. It's really high. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. All right. Great, great track. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'm kind of, yeah. I kind of wish I would have just put home on there though, so that we could have just been like, you know, we would have had both of them on the <laughs> playlist. But oh well. Yeah. Uh, so that's what the second song that's made both of our top tens. Um, this one, my number six, hasn't made yours yet. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I just opened a, <laughs> sorry, a, a sparkling water from some. Oh, nice. That looked really. Yeah. Uh, maybe from some uh, from some unnamed company that. Can pay us. Oh, for, whoops! Yeah, yeah. They can, they I can mean, pay uh, us for advertising <laughs> if they uh, want to. I, I meant from Cape Girardeau's Lacroix ba- uh, Church. <laughs> Great sparkling water. That's what the number. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my number six is the song that got me into possibly my favorite rapper of all time, um, and you know who I'm talking about because we recently had this discussion. Um, the album is Mad Villainy. Mm-hmm. The group or the duo is Mad Villain. The song is Rhinestone Cowboy. Mm-hmm. I almost put it on my list too. So, and this was like probably the second song by MF Doom. MF Doom's the rapper, Mad Lib's the producer. So, this is probably the second MF Doom song I've ever heard. Um, actually, now I think about it, this was the very first, and then Doomsday was right after that. But those two songs combined, I mean, Doom captivated me immediately, and I became a super fan almost at that very instant. 
Um, but I'll separate my brief analysis of this particular track into its two members that I just named. So the rapper, MF Doom, um, on this track and in every other song he's ever done, he expresses his signature monotone voice, his complex rhyme patterns, uh, and his unconventional lyricism. He has great one-liners and bars on here. Uh, I mean, some of my favorite all-time hip-hop quotables. Got more soul than a sock with a hole. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my aching hands from raking in grands and breaking in mic stands. That's a good example of that uh, multi-syllable rhyme pattern I was talking about, uh, but in, in a boastful way that I think is a clever rap lyric. Um, so, again, uh, Doom is one of the most consistent MCs of all time, probably like top three in terms of consistency. Uh, shout out to Black Thought. He's up there, too. Um, but, yeah. But the producer, I think, is what makes this um, an underground classic because i think the the production on here and on the album is very experimental it's very left field it's artsy um on this particular track and most mad lib tracks honestly the word i could describe it with is hypnotic um it features yeah. it features this high-pitched eerie synth sound that sounds abrasive as i'm discussing it but it it fits in quite nicely um, that sound is coupled with this faint female ooh vocal, like ooh, something like that. Very soulful, but as it contrasts with that eerie, high-pitched sound, it, it makes for this interesting combination. But my favorite aspect of the beat, uh, which helps give it an all-time status as an album closer, is this sampled applause that happens throughout this song as doom is just wrapping his butt off with all of these clever uh rhyme laced lyrics this applause kicks in every now and then and the applause gives the track this curtain call feel like i feel like the album might have really ended uh conceptually the track before that but this song feels kind of like an encore if i'm imagining this album live I'm imagining Doom rapping the entirety of Mad Villainy, stopping right before this song, the crowd getting on their feet and calling Doom to come out one more time. And Doom comes out and he just rips this, absolutely. And that's the feel I get, which I think is a very interesting concept. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it feels that way. Um, And the curtain call feeling of this track is very well deserved, given that MF Doom and Mad Lib use this track to close one of the greatest hip-hop records of all time. Nice. So there you go. My thoughts on uh, Rhinestone Cowboy by Matt. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that track. I, I almost put it on my on my top ten, too. But, uh, yeah, it ended up being, like, it probably would have made my top, like, 20 for mm-hmm. sure, you know. It's, but, re- yeah. it's really hard to pick, like, which MF Doom songs are better than others because he's so consistent. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> that really, it's just, the, the separation lies mostly in the production and the feel of the song. And I think this is some of Mad Lib's best work uh, as a producer that I've heard. So that's yeah. what really stood out to me. Freaking Mad Lib, dude. Listen to that. I mean, it's the, the underground hip-hop album to listen yeah. to. It's the yeah, number that's, one. That's, yeah, like bar none. If you're trying to get into underground hip-hop, it's, it's Mad Villainy. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's my number six. More rap is nice. coming up next, so uh, stay tuned. So we're at, nice. So we're at top five. Top five. Top five. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is top five. Top five. Okay. 
All right, let's get to it. Okay, so my number five, and that we have another repeat on here. This is the, the I knew this is going to happen too. Uh, it's outro. M eighty three by by M eighty three. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said everything about it again. You know, it's just absolutely just cinematic and grand, and you know, there's there's no doubt that it's a top ten uh, uh, album outro one way or another. You know, like oh, yeah, yeah. I there's mean, there's just scary. there's just no disputing it one way or another. So it's, I mean, it, it's just it's just fantastic. Yeah, even if the album is hit or miss, and it's a double album, so there's quite a bit of filler. But this track really, I mean, it just hits you with a great note to end on, at least. So. Yeah, it feels like exactly what an album closer would sound like. Isn't like it, if you were yeah. if you were to just imagine what a what an album closer would sound like, this would probably be what comes out. Well, you know? and, and I imagined it it would be a great movie trailer type of song. Yeah. And apparently yeah. they used it for was it Cloud Atlas or something like that? Yeah, I think you're right. I feel like they used it for some movie like that. Or maybe it was uh was it, I don't know, it was probably one of those sci fi like yeah. uh what was the other that Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion. It oh yeah, it might be that too. It might be that. I don't know. M eighty three did a lot of stuff for he did a lot of like really subpar sci-fi movies yeah. for 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 a little while there <laughs> that's that's pretty funny <laughs> but i mean it's perfect for like that kind of thing like that's exactly what you would imagine it for it so, is a little spacey in sci-fi yeah absolutely yeah so, so that's yeah your, that's your five. yeah there's not really much else I, I i need to add to that you know it's it's just fantastic so so i, I won't we can uh, sorry for what? taking all of your list you know before you did well, I mean, it would have been one way or another. Like, if you That's went true. first, I would have... <laughs> maybe some of the songs you said are higher up on mine. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, yeah. My number five, going from one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time to the single greatest hip-hop album of all time. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. Um, Nas. Illmatic. Nice. Yep. Nice. The song is It Ain't Hard to Tell. Yep. It's a lot more straightforward than my last um, song. Uh, it's very 90s East Coast boom bap, but it's not that simple. I'm making it sound simple, but at its time, it was like, whoa, who can rhyme like this other than Nas? But I, I, I mean, Nas is the star of the show, but I just want to briefly discuss the beat um, because of all the samples that were used, I think are pretty creative. Large Professor is the producer of this track, a pretty legendary figure in hip-hop. He samples Michael Jackson's Human Nature from the Thriller album. He samples Cool in the Gang, which at the time was a pretty, a fairly common group to sample in hip-hop, that sort of funk soul uh, type of music. Yeah. Um, and they used the sample, the frequently interp- uh, interpolated Long Red Live by Mountain. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep, he, he made that. That's probably arguably my favorite use of that sample in its 500 samples um, of all time. Um, But yeah, so the beat is absolutely classic. But of course, this is, I mean, this is Illmatic. So Nas is the one we're really talking about when we talk about the songs on this project. Um, It's full of memorable lines and quotables. He closes Illmatic with these, um, these rhyme schemes that are really far ahead of its time. He looked up to legendary MC Rock Him for inspiration, and I think surpassed him. Um, Nas was 
hailed at the time and even more so now as sort of the second coming of Rakim, this sort of uh, reinvigoration of some of the things that Rakim brought to the table, like these rhyme schemes that were uh, ahead of its time, very complicated, very descriptive, but in a clever, creative way. Um, one of my favorite lyrics on this track, my mic check is life or death, breathing a sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps. And when you pack an album with so much quality material, you, you absolutely have to deliver on the closer. You can't give me nine tracks of pure greatness and then just fizzle out by the time the outro comes around. So there's a lot of pressure when you're following up some of the best rap songs of all time. Uh, but Nas, I think, uh, lives up to that pressure. He, he um, puts out one of his most classic songs as the outro of Illmatic, uh, the album that is frequently considered the absolute pinnacle of hip-hop music. And my mm-hmm. and my favorite album of all time. So, Nas. nice, the boy Nas. It's about time we talked about Nas on this podcast, man. Yeah, we haven't we haven't discussed him like at all. Yeah. Like even even in even whenever we've done our hip hop stuff, we always revert to like Kanye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, and Kendrick. Yeah. Nas is Mount Rushmore of hip hop. We're like top yeah. four all time. I mean, you got it. I can't believe we haven't talked about him. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my five. I got five. Nice. Points. <laughs> that's what it, that's what it should have been. <laughs> Who cares if it's an outro, you know? Yeah, with my top five, just because is I got five on it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. My number four. Moving into from your, you said that's your favorite album of all time. Oh yeah, my number one fa- okay. favorite album, regardless of genre, all time. Okay, moving from that into what may possibly be one of the songs from my favorite album of all time. Ooh, okay. Motion Picture Soundtrack. Nice. By Radiohead on Kid A, which, I don't know, it's it's pretty up there with one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. This is one of them, probably like one of the most depressing tracks ever made. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, like, it's not like, it's not like Elliot Smith depressing, uh, because it's not like that kind of style. It's really angelic, and there's the, the sweeping kind of arpeggiated harps that come in halfway through, mm-hmm. which is the definitely the peak of this song. Mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely the most memorable part of the song for everybody is when it sweeps you up like that. Agreed. Um, but it's got this these like organ sounds to it that are just like really like kind of haunting uh and, and the whole feel of kid a obviously is really haunting too but um this is about like one of the very i mean besides like how to disappear completely this is like one of the few tracks that like gives you a little bit of a breath hmm. you know and kind of makes things like a little a little more uh beautiful but still in kind of an off-putting kind of way because it's like the lyrics are so depressing and uh, there's just this overall feel of that's kind of sad, um, but it's I mean it, it's definitely like one of the most memorable, um, one of the most memorable closing tracks that I've ever heard, um, and I definitely recommend if you're listening to it, you gotta listen to the full version of it. You gotta stay for for the two minutes after the track seemingly ends and hear that the final, uh, basically just like one chord that comes in. 
it's it's like it's like one of the most angelic chords that I've ever. I mean, it's it's absolutely beautiful. But it, it there's like a two minute long pause before and after that, um, which makes this track like what like seven eight minutes long I think. Yeah, it seems like a four minute song, but when you stick around, yeah, it's like seven. Yeah, I mean technically it's like a four minute track probably. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, like I mean you have to stick around and wait for that. I don't do it every time. Like you don't have to do it every time, but. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but at least once, just to get the full feeling of what's going on. Yeah, don't if you're if you're listening to this for the first time, you gotta let it go all the way through because there's a, it's kind of it's pretty satisfying to at least hear that. So, but the lyrics on this are are absolutely uh, they're just so sad, mm-hmm. but they're I mean they're 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 like really meaningful and stuff too. the The hook is just like over and over and again. I think you're crazy, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and. It, you know, it, it, it's just like it, it, these kind of and Radiohead always has like dealt with like the anxiety and 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 not fitting in uh, kind of uh, crowd, you know, and these kind of the, these kind of lyrics kind of just put a capstone on on what they're like. The simplicity of them is just it's used so well. I think that that's just so meaningful, you know. Mm-hmm. That they and that's just a, just a repeated motif that they use in this in this song. Um, so it it's just a it's just a great track. It, um, all about just kind of being lonely and and uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be like suicidal again, that, like with the with the last "I'll see you in the next life." I was just gonna say that, yeah. So the, when I listen to, and this isn't on my list, so I'll just share my really quick thoughts, but I think it's a very much a, a song about, maybe not about, but I get the feeling of, I picture somebody like ascending into heaven or something yeah. like that with the harps. And as you mentioned, they're angelic and the last lyrics on the entire project are, I'll see you in the next life. And then you have that big silence, which to me kind of signifies the death of the uh, the person who just stated that yeah. line, or the, you know, the character perhaps that the narrator Tom York is discussing. Um, but yeah, it's very much a, a, a song to me about a, a dying and ascending into heaven, or at least into some sort of afterlife. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, a lot of people speculate that it's that it could be a suicide mm-hmm. that they're talking about here. Um, I do think that you're right. It's probably about dying or at least making like a transition or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but in any case, like the, the that whole concept, I've, I'm always a fan of. It's so it's so like easy to uh, to try to write about that stuff, too. But it's very rare that people like kind of nail it creatively mm-hmm. um, and, and artistically, I think, you know, because a lot of people write about that kind of stuff. I mean that's that's just oh, yeah, a sure. that's just a very abstract creative thing to be talking about, and you know this is one of the few times that I think that 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 a band or a group or an artist or whatever really nails, um, you know what they're what they're trying to get across conceptually to the listener, and they do it in a really simple, simply written way you know like right and honestly those harps and you know everything the the, all the angelic feels like it's like you would i mean if you knew what the track was about you kind of expect that anyway 
but the way that they do it is just like it's still like over and over again when you listen to it it still means just as much i think um so kudos to radiohead for for producing this it's such a probably the most beautiful outro well maybe we'll see yeah that i have on here (laughs) very much unlike the other songs on k-day um but yeah, my my number four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, holy shit, we're like an hour and ten into this. Okay. Um, oh wow. Yeah. All right. Shoot. Um, <laughs> wow. Go. Let's us, get I it guess. going. Yeah. Uh, my number four is a, a a noticeable stylistic shift from your number four. Um, Animal Collective. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Okay. Is it what on? Is yeah. it brother sport? From, really? Yeah, from Meriwether. I'm telling you, man. From Meriwether Post okay. Pavilion. It's my favorite. Right. It's my favorite speak song your, on that album. Speak your no way. It is. Yeah. Oh, you don't think so? No. Really? Well, then again, no. you you did have in the flowers on yours, and that's like not my favorite on that. But yeah, brother sport. Well, man. daily routine has always been one of my favorites. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, that's kind yeah. of wow. That's weird. I mean, we both love that album, but I guess we just have very different. Uh, very different hmm, reasons that's why. strange uh, i mean brother sports great yeah like we like we always say that album's just full of tracks that are just exactly. amazing yeah and all right well plead your case okay all right so um so i can't really plead the case from a lyrical standpoint i mean yeah. it's who knows <laughs> who knows what animal collective is even saying or like what they mean when they say it but what i love about brother sport is it's not necessarily climactic, but it's got this build that goes for about six minutes. And like most good outros, um, it, it stays sonically consistent with the rest of the music on the album, but it takes it into a direction that feels like a natural closure. And Animal Collective ends this six minute song with this absolute jam Mm-hmm. That just lasts for two minutes once the I'm just gonna say instrumentation a lot <laughs> because specifically, I'm not entirely sure what they're using to make yeah. these sounds, but uh, very synthesized, very inorganic, you know, very, very man-made music on this. It's not it's not for everybody. I mean, you thought death grips wasn't for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> animal collective cer- yeah yeah animal collective certainly especially isn't. especially brother sport exactly but the yeah. sound it's it's got this like i i, I get like a tribal feel from it like a, a south uh-huh. like a south american or african type of flavor to it uh with the with the percussion that yeah. i i find to be very unique and the synth the the blurb like the, those kind of blurby uh synths yeah. that kind of kick in uh panda bear Again, who knows what he's saying, but he sounds great saying it. I think his vocals are great on here, but my favorite vocal aspect are the backing vocals by A.V. Tear. He's known for having these very experimental harmonies um, that don't seem to make sense on paper, but come through in a very creative and enjoyable way. Um, Before we get to that jam at the end, the middle of the song has this very experimental, subtle breakdown not too unlike uh, M83 outro. I mean, not not sonically, but the whole concept of starting off a certain way, kind of quieting down into this more subdued portion of the song in the middle, and then just absolutely going full force at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you get to after that, that second half uh, during that jam, 
Panda Bear just repeats this phrase over and over again while the psychedelic instrumentation builds to this absolute climax of just any sort of sound Anko was going for on this record. They, I feel like they throw all of their sounds at the wall at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like you're listening to every single song on the album at once at the very end. Uh, it's quite a jam. Um, I mean, I would describe the production more, but honestly, specifically, I can't really give you... That was my brother uh, calling in to share his opinion on Animal Collective, I'm sure. Yeah, um, he was furious. <laughs> yeah. Number four, Brother Sport? Honestly, I'm yeah. a little surprised that you're not as behind it as I am, but teach us... I like Brother Sport a lot, but like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, yeah. No, I could definitely see it. It's a great track, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's my... Oh, put your phone on Do Not Disturb. I can't because I'm recording the podcast on it. Oh, that's well, true. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to screw us up because we're an hour and 15 in on it. So I, I don't want to try anything. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, true. that's my number four. Uh, I'm throwing it on the playlist. You guys let me know if you hate it as much as uh, some people do. Not you per se. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not you. I mean, it's clearly a top 10 outro where I am, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, top three time. All right, let's get to it. Top three. So my number three was going to be an obvious one uh, anyway for me, and it's A Day in the Life by The Beatles. About time we talk about The Beatles on this podcast, you know? Yep. Yeah, we don't talk about them that much. The Beatles. So, but A Day in the Life is like one of the most obvious standout tracks that The Beatles have ever made. Um, It's... The the songwriting in here is like seemingly so simple because um, it's ba- I mean like it's talking just about like reading the news about um, this guy that like who who uh, got in a deadly car accident and um, you know people are looking at it they thought he was from the House of Lords um, and then like. And, and then it goes into just like this, these other lyrics of uh, waking up, coming out of bed, uh, going to work, basically. And, uh, you know, like, it, like the lyrics are like seemingly so simple whenever you get, whenever you read into them or whenever you listen to them at first. But then when you read into them, I mean, there's not like a whole lot to dive into, but like the way that they're just put into here and like the stuff that they talk about is so clever. Um you know, and, and, and like it, it all just has a little bit more meaning to it, or a lot more meaning to it than like you initially think it does. Like it's just like because it's it's the way that everything's pieced together. It's just it's so interesting, um, and the orchestration on this on on this track is some of the most creative yes. stuff that I've ever heard out of the Beatles. The, I mean, the buildup that happens in between verses. Um, on like that single note, um, but but through like through like diff- all sorts of horns and strings and you know uh, everybody's it, it's just madness and chaos and then it like divulges into these simple other lyrics that Paul McCartney sings. Um, also, one of my favorite moments on this whole track is whenever he's like at the end, he's like, somebody spoke it. I went into a dream. Yes. And then like, you know, and then it goes into like uh, the little, not like the vocals that are just like really like uh, like psychedelic, like classic 60s. Uh, the John Lennon part. 
Yeah, very, very like ethereal, kind of cloudy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Uh, love that part. I think that it's really creative. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's just such a it's such an interesting track. It's like the pinnacle of the Beatles creative creative uh, 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 phase in their music. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is the the, the album in general. Sgt. Pepper's is probably their most creative outside of the White Album. So, uh, yeah, it's very ambitious, for sure. Yeah, the the yeah, that's the that's a good work for the for the for the track too. It's just incredibly ambitious. So, but the one of the best parts about it is the literal end of the end of this ending track oh, and that final and that final note. Yeah. That or not note, but uh, uh, chord. Yeah, some sort that, of what, E chord. Maybe is it E? Or I forget. Yeah, it's an it's an E chord, um, and it, and it's just like just one booming E chord that's that's played. I think it's on the piano, mm-hmm. and uh, um, so but it's just like so, just large, and uh, you know just just magnificent kind of kind of uh, kind of thing. It just I don't know. Closes out the the track in such a big way. Yeah, I've never heard. So the, this whole this whole track is pieced together so interestingly um, that it's really hard to get enough of it. Yeah, that I've never heard a, a more powerful single chord. I mean, yeah. on paper it's just an E chord on a piano, but the way they apply it to this song right after that kind of chaotic build. And then for a split second, everything ceases, and then uh, that piano. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's, I mean, it's it's highly regarded as one of the most ambitious moments in a nineteen sixties music or nineteen seventies, whenever this album came out. Uh, it's nineteen sixties. Late sixties, yeah. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it came out what sixty seven, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But any yeah, in any case, yeah, it's that's one of the most yeah. The whole track is just one of the most inc- creative and ambitious things I've ever heard. It's just crazy how they they got to this point when they were starting doing you know Eiley Brothers covers you know. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Because yeah. this is like basically you know I mean uh, Revolver saw them split off a little bit. Right. Uh, with like tomorrow never knows and everything, but like this is like as far as like a transition goes from that, like my God, it's it's hard you to know? believe it's the same band, and that's what makes. I mean, we could talk about how great the Beatles are all day, but uh, but yeah, this yeah. is one of their better songs. Uh, I'll maybe get to it, you know. Um, oh yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert: it might be on my list. One of the best outros ever might make it. Um, okay, so, uh, my number three is a song that, you know, I don't think you like it as much as I do. I know you don't like this. I, not that you don't like the album, but I don't think you like the album as much as I do. We've had this discussion. But this outro is anthemic. That's the word I'm uh, that always comes to mind when I listen to this song. Oasis, Champagne Supernova. Okay, I love Champagne Supernova. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, it's easily the best song on the yeah. album. Um, yeah, lo- yeah. Okay. Love that track, yeah. The album as a whole is it's good, but, mm. but it's not like yeah. I think that I think we're 
pour out a little bit of a difference on the album. But I think right. I, yeah, I love that track. Yeah, so. I, I like the album more than you, but this is the standout to me. Uh, oh, uh, I don't really think I've said the song yet. Uh, no, wait, yeah, I have. Champagne Supernova. Yeah. Oh, the, the <laughs> album I haven't said. It's What's the Story, Morning Glory. It's mm-hmm. the album. Uh, 1995, so right smack dab in the middle of the 90s. This is my favorite yeah. song by Oasis in general. Um, the lyrics are relatively straightforward, but they're memorable, uh, yet repetitive. But the, the beginning lyrics, how many special people change? How many lives are living strange? Where were you while we were getting high? Which is kind of a, a mantra for Oasis's music in general, I guess, just kind of. You know, we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, we're in our youth, man. Come take a walk on the wild side kind of stuff. I mean, I can get that sort of vibe from it. Uh, very, very, um, <laughs> it's very British, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, a very, like, teenage British kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, uh, like, Blur, I think, falls into that category, too. Uh, right, yeah. Just that, that 90s alternative rock music uh, phase that was going in Britain at the time. Um, before it became a bunch of like punk uh, influenced bands, like um, yeah, you know, like Franz Ferdinand or, or groups like that. Yeah, sure. Are they even British? I don't know. They sound British. And, and, I'm and pretty either, sure they are. Um, either way, Champagne Supernova uh, for a long song. It's like seven minutes, but despite its length, it's insanely catchy. Uh, Oasis always knows how to write a very solid, catchy, memorable melody. Uh, and chorus, especially. Uh, the chorus on this song is stadium-worthy. I mean, I imagine just uh, thousands and thousands of people singing along to the chorus when I like pictured this song in my head. Um, even though it came out in 95, it has this classic rock aesthetic to it. I think that at this point, it's you could argue that it's considered like dad rock, but even if it's too new to be considered dad rock, it kind of sounds dad rock anyway. Like, I think if you slide this song in in the late 60s or early 70s, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... It's still got that 90s angst to it, though. Totally. Like, I mean, Oasis gets a lot of flack for being, like, a Beatles cover band, but I think it, it, yeah. it's pretty... It, I think it's pretty noticeable on this track. Um but the guitar solos throughout are, I think, are pretty impressive. They're not the most technically impressive, but the tones they use are great. Um, I mean, I would love to... I, I don't know if I want to catch Oasis as a band live, but I would love to hear this song in a live setting. Um, just a real epic song. I feel like most people know this song. Um, it's a shame that Wonderwall gets more love. Um, but, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, Jesus Christ. But yeah, Champagne Supernova, one of the best outros I've ever heard. Um, just not as, it's not ambitious enough to make that top two, but I think if everyone listened to my 10 songs once, I think that song would stand out. Because initial listen, that thing hits you immediately. There's nothing too deep about the song that you that revisiting would add to it. I think the impact of the song is pretty immediate. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. pretty much all I've got to say about nice. it. Nice, I like that. That's a good. That's a that's a solid choice. That's interesting. Heck yeah. For a number for a number three. Yeah, I can't okay. deny it. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Woo. Top two. Top two. Um, this this second or this this number two of mine is probably going to come out of left field for 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 you. Okay. 
Um, so we got a lot of, we're going to have a lot of, of variety on this because my number two is from the Firebird suite. Whoa. It's the Firebird final hymn. Is this, and is, it, this, is this who I think it is? What? Just say the rest of the title. The title sounds like a band that I'm thinking of in my head. It's not a band. Oh, it's okay. I- it's it's Igor Stravinsky. It's oh, a classic. It's a classical music thing. It's a ballet. Oh, it sounds very prog rock. The title of the song, at least. <laughs> Who are you thinking? Actually, that kind of does. Yeah. Who I are was, you thinking? It was, was going to be like honestly, Coheed and Cambria. Yep. There you go. I was thinking Coheed. Yeah. But yeah, go that ahead. does that does sound like something that they would do. Yeah, no, this is yeah. this is classical music. This is a this is a ballet. The Firebird Suite is a ballet. Uh, you know who Igor Stravinsky oh, is, yeah, right? Yeah, now that you say it, yeah. But. Yeah, the this is like one of the most famous motifs in uh, classical music, but not a lot of people listen to classical music anyway. So I don't know how many people know about this uh, this song, but it's just one of the most it's one of the most emotional and magnificent pieces that I've ever heard in my life, um, and. So it's a ballet, and it's about like a prince hunting in the forest, and the whole thing is, you know, centered around monsters and spirits and and things like that. Um, and and the ending of this is just, an, uh, you know, it's 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 exactly what you'd expect. It's a triumphant um, kind of like bursting track. It's full of horns, and the best one of the most memorable. Uh, moments in classical music people always will say is from this uh, from this piece um, and it's at the very beginning when the French horn the solo French horn comes in with the motif that's been that plays over the entire ballet um, it, it comes in and plays that motif by itself and then everything else comes like sweeping in these strings and and um, and horns and it's one uh, and and that that French horn moment, uh, any any classical fan will tell you is regarded as one of the best moments in you know in in classical music. Um, so, but you don't have to listen to the entire thing to listen to this track. It definitely stands out on its own. It's only three and a half minutes long. Oh, okay. you know, it's it's not like a it's not like um, what you would, might expect from. Uh, because it's a ballet, it's not. It's not a. It's not a symphony or anything. Yeah, I expected something long. Yeah. No, it's 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 pretty short. Um, it's the normal song length, but it's just. Anytime I hear it, it's 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 seriously still one of the most emotional songs I've ever heard in my life. It's just absolutely fantastic. So, um, I mean, it's. It's just one of the most beautiful classical tracks ever, classical music tracks ever, or pieces, I guess I should say. I shouldn't say tracks when I'm referring to <laughs> classical music. Igor Stravinsky dropped a hot track. <laughs> it's pretty dope, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as you described it, I kind of might know what you're talking about. Yeah, as you describe yeah, it. But if yeah. I mean, if, if you hear that, 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 uh, You'll recognize it immediately from the very beginning if you I, know I'm it. I'm sure I will. Titles and uh, composers of classical music, they all kind of blend together to me, so I have a hard time naming them, but I, sure. I've, probably, I've probably heard it one time. Yeah, I mean, it's really famous. I, I feel like a lot of people have probably heard it. They may just may not know that this is the song that they heard. 
I've definitely read um, Stravinsky. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, familiar with him at least. But, uh, yeah, but this is the final. This is the final piece on that, and it's like one of the most amazing fi- finales, um, not just in music but in classical music, um, and it just it's just absolutely breathtaking. It's amazing. So. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it but was it kind of. So we're gonna have some. We're gonna have some variety on there, though. <laughs> like if they, if somebody puts this on shuffle, they could very well go from hacker <laughs> to <laughs> the Firebird Suite. Stravinsky can't handle this shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that. This is gonna be an amazing playlist. Uh, that song didn't make my list, but um, that's probably because I haven't heard it. So, <laughs> so listen to that it. could be a good that's a solid reason yeah right <laughs> yeah. i tried to put songs uh one criterion was that i have listened to these songs before <laughs> that was one thing i considered when making this list um my number two i mean you've already said it um and then after i say this number two don't say it but i think we can talk about the number one song together so yes i'm so glad yeah okay thank god you pirate jet right gorillas yeah. Oh yeah, That's, definitely, has dude. To be. Yeah, right. No, it's a hundred percent. So number two, uh, the Beatles, "A Day in the Life." Um, the word I, I I said ambitious was kind of the word I think of when I uh, think of this song, especially mm-hmm. for its time. Um, it's frequently cited as one of the best songs in rock or pop history, depending on which genre you decide to put it in. Um, and it's really hard to pin down a genre on this because, as you mentioned, it shifts from one, I don't want to say movement because that makes it sound, you know, very, uh, very technically classical, but from one style or, uh, moment to like another one, uh, yeah. Lennon, John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney's sections of this song feel like entirely separate tracks. Uh, John Lennon, as you mentioned, um, you know, he, he's kind of citing the news at the time and his, his reflection on that. Arguably my favorite part during that, um, the entire John Lennon section are the Ringo drum fills. I think that's some of my favorite Ringo moments. Yeah, good point. Very, uh, very pet sounds inspired. Um, it's so yeah. John Lennon's portion is reflective. It's kind of dreary. I mean, it's uh, well, it, it, it's pretty dreary for the Beatles. Um, but from that moment, you have that chaotic instrumentation, and then it leads into the Paul McCartney, as you mentioned. Uh, with the sort of repeated piano chords and him actually describing a day in the life piece by piece, or at least the morning of a life. Um, and then the moment you were talking about kicks in. And then after that, back to John Lennon for a bit. And then yeah. we have that moment we talked about, the dramatic, intense, overblown buildup. And it just ends with that chord. And I don't have much else to say because we've already discussed it, but... If not their best song, certainly their most adventurous. And I think the Beatles, uh, you know, came through with arguably the most creative closer uh, other than the number one song on our list, which I'll get to in a second. But, uh, yeah, thank God we actually talked about arguably the best band of all time on our podcast. It took us a while. but Seriously, right, yeah. We some shout-out. So here we are, number one. I think we're in agreement on this. Um, Impossible Soul by Sufjan Stevens off the album The Age of Odds. Um, I'll Masterpiece of a closer. Absolutely. I'll let you get into some of your initial thoughts on the song, but I'll just say real quick this song is 25 minutes long, and that's yeah. the most important yeah. part of this. And then, all right, your thoughts. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good caveat yeah, to, just, to throw in there. People should know that, that right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of the most ambitious songs, if not the most ambitious song I've ever heard in my life. And I it's like the most masterpiece as far as like as far as like contemporary or not con- like modern music goes, yeah. this goes to the the closest I can think of of like what a classical composer could consider a masterpiece. Yes, um, as far as a track, it's almost structured like a like a symphonic piece. It's got three different parts to it, but everything ties into itself uh, really seamlessly mm-hmm. and the amount of instrumentation and creativity that's thrown in into this track is like, it, it's, it's just, it's too much to talk about. Yeah. And the, the classical music aspect, I think I agree with you because I think the word movement is. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I believe it's appropriate. And depending on who you ask, this song has anywhere from three parts to five parts, depending on where you decide to break it up. Because as you said, the, the transitions are seamless to the point where it's kind of hard to tell initially where one part begins and the other ends. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the we'll go... I actually have that it, there's five parts, but I think I know... The, I, I agree with that, too. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, the, the first couple parts, they have this really subdued synth, and Sufjan's just kind of playing around with his vocals a lot, as he does on much of Age of Odds with this the, these echoing effects or these... Even moments of like auto tune. There's some glitchy effects in the vocals in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a it's a very I think the most experimental part of the song is like the first uh, you know ten or eleven minutes of it. Um, yeah, and like the the beautiful thing about this too is that like Age of Odds saw you know Sufjan come from like complete left field with this experimentation mm-hmm. uh, that he was doing, and it's like. This track, like, it, it does it it, it 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 puts a capstone on like the um, I guess like the like the expression that he was trying to get out mm-hmm. of himself. Like it's almost like he had to like purge himself with this kind of like expression or whatever. And like this is like what came out of it. Like it's an artistic masterpiece. You know it. Oh, it yeah. It's it's. It's. It, it, I just. I can't get over how ambitious and replayable this song is. Yeah, for like, twenty-five uh, minutes, I find myself listening to the entire thing with yeah, no problem at all. There's not. I mean, that happens with twenty-five minute tracks with like Pink Floyd and like and Rush and like people you know like prog rock people like that like where they're they'll have 25 minute long tracks but like if unless you're listening in context to the album mm-hmm. you know you, it doesn't really matter and then they'll have a lot of moments in those kind of tracks where there's just like nothing going on basically mm-hmm. you know or there's like a lot going on but it's almost unlistenable cuz it's conceptual but this is basically you know, it's not three different tracks because everything ties into each other. But as far as like the feel of it goes, it could be separated that way. Right. You know. Um, so, but um, the lyrics, the way that the lyrics, I mean, like the way that they're structured and the subject matter that they talk about, like I said, uh, they're so important because they talk about like you know, like all of the like this is like a, a really bad time for him. It's like existential crises and stuff going on for Sufjan 
and Sufjan's always been like clear and very personal with his lyrics. And these kind of things are like, they're so, they're so sad and deep and like, and meaningful, all of them, you know, even the, even the repeated lines. Yeah, we'll get, I mean, the repeated lines are, you know, I'll, I'll kind of touch on those a little bit because they're my favorite lyric moment of the song. But like you said, Uh the, the way Sufjan has this personal expression through his lyrics, it brings this human element to music for at least a lot of the song isn't very human at all. It's, I mean, this kind of terminology gets thrown around all the time, this sort of comparison I'm about to make, but this really is kind of like Sufjan Stevens' version of Kid A, mm-hmm. where he just kind yeah. of, he's just kind of, and he's always been ambitious, but it's always been very accessible, um, very pleasant, well, not uh, not lyrically, but musically pleasant. And then this song is sometimes abrasive, sometimes accessible, sometimes smooth. It goes all over the place, but he ties it all together with this 25 minute long wrapping paper. Just, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, an unbelievable song, but those repeated lyrics, um, I, at least I think you're discussing the, uh, during the middle portion where he says, uh, boy, we can do much more together. It's, yeah. It's not so impossible. Yeah. He's, he repeats that phrase, or I guess those couple of bars for about like seven minutes. But during those seven minutes, he plays around with the instrumentation and the effects to keep it fresh. And then he juxtaposes that lyric at the very end during the acoustic portion of the song where he says, um, boy, we made such a mess together. And I, that, yeah. that I think is my favorite that juxtaposition of the lyric is kind of my favorite takeaway from this song that might as well be an entire EP on its own. Just stuff yeah, at the seriously. end of an album. I mean, we could call it a song, but it's really, it, like, it's more of a piece than anything else. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I would agree, too. I think that that's, my, that's definitely my favorite, too. I think that that's, you know, that's such a standout portion because he repeats that line so many times that you're, you know, you, you, you're used to it. And then at the end he, he does, he switches it around like that. And yeah, it's, it's so, I mean, God, we could talk about this track for another hour too. Yeah. You know, I have that written down. I could talk about this song for an entire podcast. I mean, seriously, because there's so much, I mean like the, there, the dance section basically in here, the synthy, auto-tune section in here the part four where it's the mm-hmm. it's a long life better pinch yourself it's my favorite part absolutely that, that absolutely glorious love that part mm-hmm. you know yeah uh where they got the classic sufjan horns coming in on there it, it's just it's just amazing it's see and and the last kind of thing i wanted to touch on before we end the podcast is um i feel like you get a good sense of like the three most celebrated Sufjan albums all on one song because to, yeah, to, yeah, definitely. To, yeah. To me, the first two parts are very much age of odds, which I think is pretty good, but I don't like it as much as I think you like it. Um, the, the middle part, as yeah. you were just discussing, I think is very much come on feel the Illinois. And then the, yeah. the acoustic part at the end, I think as I was listening to this song in preparation for this podcast, I think it's a very solid foreshadowing into what kind of music we were going to hear on Carrie and Lowell released just last year. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. 
you know, I, and that's another thing too. It's so cool that that came out after this, right? Um, because and 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 the way that this album ends, because it's like it's basically like I said, like it feels like this is just like a brief amount of expression that Sufjan like kind of needed to get out, and then like it ends. That kind of stuff ends with the end of the of the part four. Um, and then, and then like, it kind of like, he kind of like, like you said, foreshadows what's coming after that with the, with like the calm acoustic subdued, uh, ending part of it. With his, you know, you know his signature falsetto vocals all over the place. Yeah. It's so artistic. It's just, it's so creative. It's very much like a, a career spanning track. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, unanimous number one, you heard it here. I mean, if you listen to any of these, definitely take out 25 minutes of your day to listen to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, the po- or, uh, the playlist will be coming up very shortly after the podcast. Um, I guess we got to end it here. We're at an hour and 45 minutes. Um, but wow. What can I? We love outros. I mean, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> thank you all for listening. I hope you uh, enjoyed listening to our, our thoughts on the best outros of all time. I don't think you forgot any uh, notable ones this time, except for maybe, yeah. except for maybe brother sport. I don't know. I, I thought, I thought brother sport would make your list, but I, I guess I was yeah. wrong on that. Well, you didn't put uh Bush picture soundtrack or That's the final or the Firebird final <laughs> hymn on there. So <laughs> I, I knew, I knew motion picture was going to make your list, but uh, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, it didn't hit me as much as some of their other songs. But, uh, but yeah, all right. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, until next time, um, see you later.